Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. All right, Annie, let's get personal. You ready? Always. Always. At what point, because you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Yes. Did you decide that you probably don't want kids? I was someone who was really into the idea of kids for a while. And I had like names picked out, which was very selfish of me for any future partner. But I was like, these are the names for my three children that I'm going to have. And then I think when I got to college, I started being like, I'll probably delay it. Because I thought I was gonna, this was all gonna happen like right after college or something. I was like, no, I want to travel and whatever. And then as I got older and I did travel and I did start looking inwards, I won't say that it was a necessarily healthy decision because at first it was very fear based, where I was like, I can't, I don't think I'd be good at raising children. And so it was more of a, I absorbed all that messaging about being the perfect mom, I think. And right. like, they're, you're going to screw up these children forever, with no matter what you do. So I had that on my brain. And I was like, okay, so I, I don't want to do that to a child. And then when I started dating and I was in one of my first long-term relationships, that's when I realized, I guess it was also kind of fear-based, but I, I was afraid that if I had children, while I would be someone who would really push for like equal spreading of responsibilities, I think I would also cave. And that's just right. like a acknowledgement of who I am and how I've been raised. And I mean, it's a child and I want to take care of them and I want to make them happy. And I think that I would pick up more and more slack and I would go more and more resentful. Right. So it was almost like a anti-patriarchy thing where I'm like, as long as the system is this way and I am this way, then I don't think that I want children. So I was probably about um, 28 when okay. I had that realization. You were, you were fairly young in this process. 
Not according to our eggs, but in (laughs) our timeline, I guess. And yeah, today for our Monday Mini, this is a question that has been weighing pretty heavily on me specifically coming at 40, looking at future prospects, being in one of my longest relationships ever. It's kind of one of those moments of like, okay, you really have to have a decision. You need to make up your mind and um, think about what all of this looks like for your future and all of this in our respect to, yeah, the country, ourselves, our families, whatever it may be. And for me, it's been a whole internal back and forth conversations about whether or not I wanted to be a parent. And if I were to be a parent, would I be a good parent? And if I actually could be a good parent overall, um, and whether it would be something that Having kids is even possible for me. I I know growing up at a younger age, I was uh, severely abused and there was a lot of questions for me. And I don't have any health issues that I know of. I definitely have had a few cysts as well as when I would go back and had to have tests and make sure everything was okay. HPV tests, all of that, you know, and that's not uncommon for a lot of women in general. And so it was kind of like, okay, I don't even know if this is possible for me. Could I actually procreate for real, for real? And for me, even being a part of the dating world forever, I feel like it's been forever. But to be honest, I didn't actually start dating until I was about like 21, 22. I'd had a few dates every now and again, but I was just pretty much like, nope, can't date, can't date. I am not worthy of dating. I've been too traumatized for dating. So I didn't really start dating until mid-20s. And... As of the last 10 years of dating, I've made sure had to have conversations if anybody comes into any kind of seriousness. And even more so in the last five years when I've had any relationship at all, that's been a key point. I'd be like, hey, I know we're just getting to know each other, but um, do you want children? Because I don't know if I do. And I think I've seen so many relationships and marriages fall apart because it's not something they have discussed or taken seriously. Like I've seen so many couples who will be like, ah, they'll change their mind. They don't. And then that kind of comes apart when they're like, wait, are you serious? You really don't want to have kids? And they're like, no, I really don't. The conversation of adoption. For me, I've always said I would most likely adopt over having my own child. Then again, of course, I'm seeing these issues of adoptions of in general, like kind of the sad, you know, implications for that child in general. What is happening? Who is being adopted? Who's not being adopted? Who's being sold? Who's being taken from families? Like that's a yeah. whole big other conversation to that. So that's kind of changed my views on that as well. And so that's, again, that's one of the, my first things. I was like, all right, you sure? Because I, yeah. I, I promise you right now, definitely not want to have kids. And I don't yeah. know if I'll ever change my mind, but you need to know not, now I might not. So yeah. don't want you to be discouraged. Uh, again, I still go back and forth on all of it. And like I said, one of the biggest reasons that I've been really thinking about it and trying to process, like, am I going to regret not having children, and since, quote, high-risk and geriatric pregnancies are considered for women who are over 35, which is like, what? What? Mm -hmm. And because there is this whole idea of the expiration date for us, for most people with uteruses. And I have to ask, why has nature got to be so ageist, right? I mean, why? Why? Of course, (laughs) and sexist too, because of men like, yeah, we can have babies all, all the time, anytime. (laughs) Of course, uh, there are other avenues, and I'm not necessarily opposed to any of that. But of course, there's also this bit of internal misogyny of seeing my worth and being able to actually birth a baby. 
a mm-hmm. human. Um, and according to my high school best friend's grandmother, when I showed up to show off our prom dresses, I have really good birthing hips. <laughs> so I feel like I'm wasting some things. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. Um, and, it's, and again, it's not just me, and I know this, and there are so many articles, but the term voluntary childlessness has been around since the 70s. And just in case you were wondering, of uh, the term childlessness and involuntary childlessness is the accomplishing the goal of remaining child-free, whether through a process of going through surgery to prevent having a child, whether having a a IUD, plug you up. Thank you very much, IUDs. (laughs) And the factors are vast, um, and they could include age, income, marriage or unmarried status, and uh, higher education. And there's a lot of conversations on why or who or when, (laughs) for the lack of like all of the questions of why someone may choose. And as in fact, there have been, like I said, a lot of articles giving advice, uh, op-eds about people deciding and why they decided to not have children. And then as in fact, one study conducted in 2018, some of the reasons that they talked about that we will continue to talk about of nearly 2,000 people that were surveyed from ages 20 to 45. 36% of survey respondents said they didn't want children or were not sure about becoming parents because they wanted more leisure time. And I think the pandemic has been a bright spotlight on an obvious to who has children and who doesn't. <laughs> like it's it's very like, oh, the struggles are here yeah. and here and here. And the things that have been elevated to that conversation 34% said they haven't found a partner to raise children with. And then 31% talked about the fact that they cannot afford childcare. So there's definitely a lot of reasons why we might not be wanting children right now. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes me really angry when, and this happens in any generation. I'm not saying that it's just millennials getting attacked, but when people are like, millennials aren't having children, they're so selfish, why? And it's like, we can't afford it. <laughs> right. We, we're right. thinking about the child that we're like, well, we can't afford to raise a kid. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. <laughs> um, right. Until we fix those things, then yeah. Um, and that mm-hmm. was something I definitely took into account too, of like the stress of financially providing for a child. And the CDC has just reported as of 2020 that the U.S. birth and fertility rates have made a record-breaking low since 1979. It's been declining for the last six years. And as of 2020, the decline of the birth rate doubled from the year before. And here are some specific stats according to the survey directly from the report. Teen birth rates dropped considerably with births to 15 to 17-year-olds falling by 6% and to 18 and 19-year-olds falling by 7% both hitting record lows. Birth rates among women ages 20 to 24 and 25 to 29 dipped by 6% and 4% respectively, both to record lows. Birth rates fell by 4% and 2% respectively among women ages 30 to 34 and 35 to 39, but did not reach record lows according to CDC data. Right, and so some of this bigger conversation about why aren't teens having more babies or having less babies, maybe they have access to birth control now, and maybe they have access to abortion if need be. Better uh, sex education, maybe? More openness? I don't know if social media has helped a little bit. I don't know, because now you can find a lot more information online as where, when I was a kid, maybe not. 
Right. You know, um, and I was like 15, 14, 15 years old. We had the internet, but we didn't go there often. And we shared it with our parents and therefore we definitely didn't look at it. Mm-hmm. Didn't really have any access to cell phones because, you know, we had car phones then. My right. cool friend had a car phone. Yeah. And I'm talking about that giant bag yeah. that people carried out that plugged into the cigarette lighter. Yes. Still my favorite thing. <laughs> we had those, but it wasn't little computers, essentially, yeah. in our hands. So... That says a lot. And I'm really sad that people are trying to go backwards. Hello. Yeah. Birth rates from women ages 40 to 44, my age range, fell by 2% from 2019. But birth rates for women 45 and up remain unchanged. And again, it may be partially because it's harder to get pregnant, less likely to get pregnant at that time. I don't know. And also, the number of births declined 3% for Hispanic women and 4% for white and black women from 2019 to 2020. Again, these are directly from the report uh, by the CDC. So yeah, things are changing. Things have changed. Yes, yes. And there are many reasons for the decline. Some speculate that it's due to the pandemic, though not much data has been collected to support that. Other experts say that it's the lack of vital resources like housing and food among those demographics with correlations between the rise in unemployment rates and the decline in birth rates. I will say recently there's been another survey, and I haven't looked into it enough to like judge how authentic or uh, scientifically accurate it is, but that millennials are having less sex. And uh, I have a friend who said, until like I can access abortion easily, the gates are closed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that's a part of it too. Is um, as we're seeing this rolling back or um, real pushback against abortion, women are thinking, well. <laughs> then I guess I won't be engaging in as much sex. (laughs) That's just my theory. I don't know. I think a lot of it is also calling out the misogyny and see the nastiness of the power play that's been happening uh, when it comes to toxic masculinity. And I think that has something to do with it as well. And we talked a little bit about the fact that people weren't meeting up during pandemics. Uh, They weren't just uh, coming out anymore and hooking up with people. Which, do what you want. But for the sake of not spreading COVID. So that could have some things to do with it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Of course, when people who were able to be pregnant but chose not to were asked, uh, some stated that the mere fact society is not demanding or expecting them to have children as much has kind of taken off some of that pressure to have children. Mm -hmm. And for me, yeah, my mother has finally stopped asking me about having kids or getting married after uh, seeing how bad marriages can ruin families. Hmm. and can cause so much damage. So I've definitely seen, and we've all seen it, and maybe we've been a part of this family, let's be honest, where they're trying to save a marriage by having a child. Um, oh, yeah. And ooh, that's not as helpful as you think it is. And it doesn't work, typically. And I think it's finally gotten to the point that people are like, eh, figured out we don't want to be together. I'm not going to try to have a baby to save anything because it's fine. We're fine. And for those who have gone through these messy divorces with children, which is what I'm talking about, uh, they're like, ah, maybe this was not a great idea. Not that they regret having children, but of course there are some reports that they're more like, people are more likely to regret having children. I don't know. I didn't look too deeply into that. That could be a whole other ap- episode. But having that being a part of that mess, it just is so heartbreaking in general. Yeah. And I'm sure because we have been children of seeing really ugly divorces as it has become a steady incline at one point in time. I think it's kind of evened out, where it's like 50-50 chance. Um, 
<laughs> but we have noticed, yeah, maybe it's not a bad thing to not have children because things seem less messier, not always. And I think for my mother, who for so long would get into a sweeping match with me every Christmas about why I didn't have children and that I was going to die alone. Yeah. And no one was going to take care of me. Made sure to tell me that. And then gave me an example of my spinster great aunt who she said died alone, which is not true because her brother lived with her as well as other family members. So I'm not really sure what she was talking about. Mm. Um, But the fact that that has completely washed away after seeing divorces happen within my family. And so that is one of the things. Like, I agree. Because of that, I have not had any pressure (laughs) from anyone. Yeah. I feel like my dad kind of pushed pushed me for it, as I've talked about. But my mom and I, like a couple of weeks ago, had a conversation where it was very clear to me that she's not expecting anything. And I was like, this is nice. It's <laughs> like, there's right? no part of her. It wasn't like a judgmental thing or it was just like, yeah, that doesn't seem like the path you're going down. And that's cool. I'm like, cool. Thank you. <laughs> okay, some other reasons. For all of this, women are choosing careers in higher education over the high cost of raising children. And though the numbers of women having children in life hasn't changed too much percentage-wise, the number of births have decreased by at least 500,000 from 2007 to 2017. Monetarily, it is estimated that raising a child costs about $233,610. And that's not including college tuition, because yeah, I would have guessed way higher. I calculated this out at one point, and I was like a million something. And that's... Right. I was very young when I was doing this, and I'm like, okay, I can't afford a child. <laughs> well, also, you've got to remember, this is one child. Exactly. This is based on a median line um, mm-hmm. because we know that economic status is different for everyone, and therefore, those who are doing without are just trying to make do. So right. who knows uh, if they're getting everything they need to, the amount of kids that are in the foster care system that get very little. In fact, right. there's a whole lot of things, but that is the average. And again, in the U.S., we know that the income statistics and income variations are huge. The gaps are huge. And I think we need to account for that. So we could have people who are making literally 12000 and that's a minimum wage job, to people making billions And so we're putting those in the line. So that's really not fair calculation and who's spending what on what. Of course, if you're trying to buy a kid's education, like buy a kid's acceptance by giving millions of dollars to a specific school because your kid's not smart enough to get accepted, whatever, (laughs) that's not accounted for either. So (laughs) Mm, uh (laughs) we'll leave that one alone. But yeah, for me, specifically, uh, my adoption cost about, Ten to twenty thousand, I believe. Uh, I can't quite remember. I came in at seven. Everything. I bought my own car. Started working at fourteen, and I paid for my own school. I paid for everything after school, like all of that. The only thing I didn't pay for was car insurance until I was twenty-one, and then after that, I was on my own. So definitely a lot to consider, and who's giving what. But and again, I think within the millennials, because I need people to stop using the term geriatric because it's getting annoying, but. <laughs> Technically, they said I'm geriatric millennial. Mm -hmm. Whoever said that, I don't like you. (laughs) Because in that generation of earning your own income to get yourself into school, things like grants that help people get into school, or if you're in UK, which, look, post-education is free, and it should be, but okay. Stuff like that, you start considering the different amounts of money that you have to save for your kid. Other reasons can be as simple slash complicated. 
such as mental health and past trauma. And, and you just kind of talked about it, and I've talked about it before. And we've heard from people, from our listeners, specifically like when we talked about parentification of not wanting children or fear having children. And honestly, I'm in that category as well. I, I so much past trauma, uh, so much collective trauma, and for me, so much work trauma. So I've seen the makeup of really bad families, and I've seen the horridness of addiction in families and being unable to actually afford and get help. Not being able to afford childcare has been a reason to remove children, which is absurd and makes me angry, and I didn't. I didn't. But it's a complicated system and the expectations placed on specifically women or those who have uteruses in general to care for their children without any assistance or yeah. barely any assistance is absurd in itself. And it already puts them up to fail. And for me, seeing that, I know I have the support system, but the overall idea of just, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. And growing up, with my past trauma, the fear of what I will do to my own kids, whether it's I'm overly, you know, too needy or too, you know, all of these things, which is why I have a dog that I'm too needy with. <laughs> and honestly, I, as a nanny, I felt like I was raising my own, like I was raising kids already. And I'm sure I got paid for it, but I literally raised kids mm -hmm. for four to five years. I had one that was two to six. Mm -hmm. when I had taken care of them. And not that the parents weren't present, the mother was absolutely present. She just needs a lot of help. Yeah. And I ended up being the authoritarian, the disciplinarian, right. the, like the schedule keeper. It was interesting. But yeah, I feel like I've already raised it. So I'm like, do I want to do that on my own? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, I feel like for a period of time, I raised my little brother. And now it's like interesting going through therapy where now I'm like having guilt resurface of like, did I do a good job raising him? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, would you, should you have been raising him? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. That's been one of the things I think about too is I'm not sure I did a good job. So I was a child, but still. <laughs> so what do we do with this regret? There are so many articles that are out there to help and encourage our decisions, meaning allow us to feel that the decision we are making is okay and acceptable for us. So one thing is trust that the decision you are making is best for you. Try to separate what you want versus what society tells you what you want. And yeah, also, it's okay to change your mind and not always be sure. Like I said, I am going back and forth with it, having deep conversations with people, uh, current partner, all of that, just trying to figure out, hey, it's happening. And I went and visited a couple who are friends of mine. I've been friends with them for a very long time. They just had their first child not too long ago. She is uh, a little older than myself. And I, I talked about it with her. I was like, how was your, was there any complications? How do you feel about all of this? What did you think? And uh, how do you feel? And the baby is adorable, by the way. And I did. I had, again, had that moment of like, oh, <laughs> I've only got a couple of more years. Oh no, what do I need to do? Uh -huh. And it, it is, it's, it's a hard decision. And I still have a back and forth. And I think, uh, again, part of that is society slowly backing off and realizing this is not, this is not up to us. We don't, we really don't have any say so on what a family or looks like anymore, and we really shouldn't dictate that. Um, and of course, yeah, we need to have a larger conversation about the language of pregnancy in general. Uh, I'm still mad about this geriatric pregnancy thing, <laughs> by the way. And again, the conversation of choice uh, of those who choose to have children. That's wonderful. Yeah. Those who choose not to have children. 
that's wonderful too. And as one listener reminded us, as she talked about her own uh, child and having to go through all the hardships and being able to have a child and then being told that, oh, you just had a pandemic baby. And she's like, that's insulting. That's not what happened. This was something that uh, they've been hoping for, wanting, and they, they finally got and are so excited. But to have it dismissed like that is really insulting. And yeah, we need to talk about that. This is a private decision, whatever it may be. And it is something private and it can be heartbreaking. Yeah. Either way, whether it's they involuntarily were childless and they really want it and it just didn't happen. Yeah. And there's a lot of heartbreak to that. To those who are voluntarily wanting to be childless, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of trauma behind that. These are private matters that need to be allowed to be private. And also, let's let's talk about this as you don't have any questions to ask. Don't ask when they're going to get pregnant. Don't ask when you're having a baby. (laughs) Let's just not, let's just throw that all out the window. It's not a conversation starter. If we didn't bring it up, as in those who have uteruses, then you have no business in asking. Yeah. Period. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there are so many avenues we could discuss here because definitely I think that whole perfect mother image is at play in a lot of this. Because I'm pretty confident in my own decision, but I think at some time I was... The fear of living up to that was what was the main decider. And as we've discussed, it's like impossible to live up to that. Right. And um, so, yeah, yeah, there's so much we could untangle here, and I'm sure we will (laughs) in the future. In the meantime, listeners, if you'd like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffydmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffmonevertoldyou. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.